Hello and welcome to TCGMC 40th Anniversary Podcast. My name is Rahul. And I'm Steffi. And our guests Jeremy. today are... Jeremy. Jeremy Ingen. All right. St. Cloud. From St. Cloud. Mm-hmm. And? And, oh yeah, so I'm um, in St. Cloud doing summer break because I'm a teacher and I'm just kind of hanging out with my cat. Singing karaoke, Ariana Grande, almost every day. Just trying to keep, you know, active because we're not singing. And I need to still sing to kind of survive. Uh-huh. So, I don't know. I try to make do with what I have. So, karaoke <laughs> all day with my cat. All right. And then we have Michael Whistler. Hello. Correctly, Michael? Hi. Yeah, uh, Michael Whistler. Um, I'm very new to the chorus. I've only done the one concert, and I've never seen the chorus perform. Oh, you have not? I have No. Well, I moved here in, um, uh, I've been in Minneapolis one physical year. I mean, I moved here in June, uh, and auditioning for the chorus is the first time I I heard the chorus. I ran into some folks at a bar. I'm betting you can even guess who they were and what bar it was. And they suggested that I, uh, I I come out for the chorus. Yeah, you got it. Um, so so I, I, I've only done the one concert with the chorus. Um, I'm an educator too, Jeremy. I was uh, back in Philadelphia. I headed up a theater arts program for a community college, which I did for about 15 years. Uh, and I also uh, spent time with a program called the American Center for Teaching Shakespeare, where we worked with high school teachers giving them tools for teaching Shakespeare in the classroom at age levels from grade four to, to 12. Michael, what brought you to the Twin Cities last year? My husband's job. <laughs> My husband landed a, a job in uh, Minneapolis that he loves and it, it was a great opportunity. We just sort of decided this is something you can't pass up. Um, and I was in a place where I, I could move along with my career a little bit. So I thought, yeah, let's do this. So we came, he came out here in March of last year, and then I joined him in June. Um, do, do you like the Twin Cities? I do like the Twin Cities. It's a great place. You know, I lived in Seattle for 10 years, and it reminds me very much of Seattle. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Minneapolitans hear that a lot, but there's a very similar vibe. And, um, and actually, I've gone through whole conversations with people referring to Minneapolis as Seattle, and then realized like, oh wait, wrong city. <laughs> um, but I do like it, and uh, you know, the the last couple of months, of course, you can't go anyplace. <laughs> so, <laughs> but what that's meant is that I've discovered a lot of the uh, wonderful places to hike around here. I mean, I live in Longfellow, so it's easy for me to hike along the Mississippi or hike down to the, the falls or hike over the lakes. Um, and so that's been, that's been great. And that's, you know, that's something I couldn't have done in Philadelphia. So Michael, you're new here. And Jeremy, did you say you've lived in the area your whole life? You know, I've, I live in St. Cloud right now and I've lived in Minneapolis like twice. Um, but my heart's Minneapolis cause there's not a lot of gay people or LGBTQ plus people in St. Cloud. So for me, I have to drive an hour just to kind of find my temple, which is typically one of the places downtown, um, mostly because we watch a lot of drag queens and hang out. And that's also kind of how I got into choir, I feel like, is just because I was just kind of sick of the bar scene. I wanted to try to find 
gay men that were not drinking. And I wanted to find a sober place to do that, which I'll drive an hour for because sometimes you have to do that. You have to rent, find the right place. So Jeremy, then an hour is not an hour when it is snowing outside, right? No, but like, I'm, I'm from St. Cloud and it's like 94 is kind of just one straight line. Yeah. So as long as I just don't fall off the road, go yeah. 30 miles. You know, I've honestly driven 30 miles all the way to practice back and forth. And it's, you just put on Ariana Grande. You just put on something good, you sing something. I don't know, you, uh, I practice the music that we're supposed to sing actually. Because people are like, you should probably practice. And how did you find out about the chorus? You know, it's odd. My mom uh, saw me kind of struggling. I just didn't really feel like I had a niche for something. I just kind of felt really lost. And she's like, you should join a choir. Um, mostly because I was talking about like, I'm going to make a mixtape. I'm going to be a SoundCloud rapper or something cool like that. Um, very TikTok famous. But my mom's like, you should probably just join a choir. So I did, and I just kind of Googled um, Minnesota choirs and found Gerald flexing, or I think it's more like this, where he's like, um, I don't know, I just saw that, and I just really wanted to be in a group like that. He looked very gallant and strong, and I didn't feel that way, so I really kind of wanted to be with people that felt that way. It was just kind of like this moment where I was like, I'm going to do this. So you had never seen a DCGMC concert before that? Never, never. And how's your experience been so far with the Twin Cities Cayman's course? I love every moment of it. Um, I think my favorite is right when I started in 2018, when Gerald also started. So that was kind of cool because everybody was welcoming him and I felt like we were all starting off new and he picked really amazing music. Super long, but I mean, people were like, it was so worth it though. Because I mean, it was the Christmas concert. So we did every Christmas song plus Gaga. Yes, Gaga. I mean, like, that's like LGBTQ plus, plus, plus. Like, if your mom doesn't love Lady Gaga, bye. I don't know. <laughs> Michael, you said that you, you've done one show with the chorus. Because mm -hmm. you joined recently and then this whole thing happened. So what, what show was that? Just the winter concert. The winter show we just had. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that feels like it was years ago. Sure. Right. Um, was there a a piece in that concert that you found particularly like moving or memorable? You know, definitely. I, I'd have to say "Stars" was my favorite piece. I, I thought the lyrics were very moving, and it hit me at a particular moment in my time. I remember when we went up to Duluth for the retreat, and of course, you know, it's a lot of mm, ah, and it's a lot of open sound. But it also really made me reflect on how alone I was and how, how it felt being so displaced in, uh, in Minneapolis. So it was a very moving piece to be a part of. And also, it's just a, it was a gorgeous sound. So I would say Stars is my favorite piece. Jerry, you've been in a few, a few shows. Um, what, do you have one performance or experience that stands out to you? You know, I would love to say that the drag was my favorite because I love the songs, but the drag part was actually a drag. It was really terribly hard. I think watching it and loving it so much and not 
realizing actually how much work it is to wear high heels. Like, I, I just don't even, I mean, like when we talk about women's rights and we don't even realize the platform that they have to stand on is literally so tiny sometimes because it's so shoes. I, and we all stood on those risers. For some of us, it was our first times, but I think just doing all that was the greatest and singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow in drag. I think just obviously what that song stands for, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, it means so much to us during Pride. I don't know, I just think when we're all standing together, it was just such a good arranged piece because Gerald also, again, does this amazing arrangement of stuff. And you're just like, geez, thank you so much for just giving yourself a little bit as a director, giving us not something that, uh, that we might've sung in college choir over and over and over again. Cause you know, I was in choir, I think for 10 years before I joined this choir in college and in high school. And it's just, it's just good to have somebody that has something new to sound. Cause otherwise we're just going to sound like everybody else. And we are unique. And I think that's what makes us, you know, the Twin Cities Gay Men's Chorus is that we are not like every other chorus. People sleep on us, I feel like. People forget about Minneapolis and Minnesota. But then we have things like George Floyd and we have some of the craziest things that happen on our streets. And we also want to talk about that stuff. And I think talking about race and gender and sexuality and political ideals is really important. I think anytime we sing, it is a political movement. Do y'all think, um that music is a particularly powerful way to talk about those things? Sometimes when you don't have the words to say things, there's music. I feel like a choir director said that to me once. And I remember that really stuck with me, where it was like, when there aren't words, there's music. I think I've like sung so many commemorative things that I wouldn't have even learned about, like the Holocaust. I did a whole oratorio and sang in, a, in France on a concentration camp. And it's like, I think with music, we don't get a chance to dive too deep, but enough where we actually get to like learn about something that we might have not been too brave enough to learn about. I mean, the Holocaust is pretty heavy. When you're standing on a, a spot where people were murdered and you're singing about it, it's like you bring these two worlds and it becomes super meta and it's, it becomes this moment and you can't recreate those moments anywhere, anywhere. Mm -hmm. That's why I like Eric Whitaker is so famous because he can do these moments with sounds where it's, this is a moment right now. Mm -hmm. And I, I think with music, it's just, it's something we can't do with just a conversation. We screw things up very easily. We miscommunicate. We can practice with music. We can rehearse things. I spoke with my students a lot when I was teaching about um, how we learn. And it's a misconception, I think, to think that we learn only through our heads. I think there are at least three places that we learn in our, in our bodies, through our heads, through our hearts, and through our guts. And one of the beautiful things about actually singing music is that it incorporates all of those. You can't be engaged physically with the, with the, the process of creating voice and sound without including your instinct and your emotion and your head. It brings the entire thing through agency and activity into play into creating sound that's realized in the real world. So I, I think music is a powerful way of doing that. I think poetry is. Poetry is a lot of what draws me to it. That's kind of my background. And I, I think that there are ways to understand things that are, are beyond the spoken because it involves that agency, that activity, and that empathy. Oh, agency, activity, and empathy. It's what I teach, Steffi. Um <laughs> 
I'm, t- I'm going to write that down. I love that. That's so unique. And that is what makes, uh, that is what makes music and singing so unique. I'd argue it's also, it makes Shakespeare, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. So Michael, um, you talked just now a little bit about the importance of language and, and we mm-hmm. did an episode for this podcast and the idea of that episode, that podcast was to talk about LGBTQ language, specifically the words that have had different meaning through our history, right? So the word queer was yeah. first um, a very acceptable term. Then for a short period of time, it became a derogatory term. And then now people have sort of reclaimed that term. So let me ask both of you this question. Jeremy, you mentioned uh, the more later or the latest singers, Ariana Grande. And for those who have seen your TikTok videos know that you are a big fan. How does that language versus uh, the choral language, how, how does that balance? And is, is there a connection specifically with LGBTQ language or uh, lingo that we use? I feel like a lot of the songs that I'm really passionate about, that I listen to, that I love singing, that makes my heart beat really hard, and I honestly sometimes have to quit singing because it's so emotional, are the songs where it's about love or it's about death. And it always seems when it's love, it's also kind of a confusion with the word life because when you're in love, this love has life. So it's kind of like this whole, I don't know, Ariana Grande sings all about love and life and death because she went through all these weird moments where a bombing happened at one of her concerts. And as a concert goer mm-hmm. who's gone to all three of her concerts and I go to Beyonce concerts and I go to Miley Cyrus concerts and I, I go to all these strong women because I believe in strong women. and you hear these strong women who don't have a voice in this country. And a lot of the times they're talking about the struggle, the love, the laughter, the life, but a lot of it's sadness. And I think a lot of us really connect with that. Just even thinking about people who connect with like Lizzo, she's Minneapolis, black woman, gotta be very happy for that. So it's like, when I think about what they celebrate, they're celebrating the human existence. And I think just all of us can connect to that. And I think even when we're in choir, it's like when we think about when Gerald talks about a song that we don't understand, He starts talking about his human existence and his moment when he heard the song and it finally clicked for him. And we need to think of that for us. Mm -hmm. Um, Like Michael mentioned stars. And it's like, I feel like most of us weren't connecting with that song. And he just started talking about loss and trying to find your moment. But in this moment of like, when you're in the sky, you know, there's a lot of stars, but they're all very unique and they're all different. There's tons of them, but they're all kind of scattered. And just, I remember the way that he mentioned it. I just, it was just kind of a sad moment because I just had a student that had passed away. Um, She took her life. And he mentioned something about just life and loss and songs. And it's just, it's like one of those moments where you can actually just really understand a lot of stuff. And I think like when we talk about like not being able to deal with something with words, we have music. It's just when I think of all of those things, I mean, Ariana Grande obviously has dealt with death somebody in her life um, passed away from drugs. So it's like when we all think about the most important things, we're all just trying to survive every day. For music, for me, I need it to survive. Michael? I, I, I have to say, I don't understand the question. Um, what I'm trying to get to is, uh, like what Jeremy just now said, we, we choose songs or Gerald choose songs, chooses songs for us, and then he explains those to us. 
and that's when they click, right? I think sure. you being a, a Shakespeare scholar, when I read Shakespeare for the first time, it just went above my head. Um, then I was lucky enough to be in San Diego for a conference, and I found out that they were going to talk through Shakespeare at a at an auditorium. So I bought the tickets, went in, and there were five people sitting on the stage reading out Shakespeare. Then there was this one guy explaining what they just read, and then they read it again. And that's how that entire show was. And it, it just was light bulb moments for me. Like I understood what they were saying because he was explaining it to us. Oh, okay. I mean, um, uh-huh. I think about it, words as the way to enter into the song. Yeah. For me, like for, for stars, when it clicked for me is when I really started to understand the progress of the mm-ahs in it. Uh-huh. That it was someone appreciating and sighing and then letting that breath overwhelm him until it had to come out in words and that breath becoming overpowering because he realized how, how he was a small part of this marvelous thing that left him still very small and in awe. And then going back to catching his breath and retrieving his breath. And that was all in that, because then it reverses at the end, right? It goes instead of mm, ah, it was ah, mm, ah, mm, bring himself back down to, to breathing again. So for me, it's a really a process of letting the words lead me into the music.
you know, I had an experience because, you know, I, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to claim generational gap here because I'm nearly 60. But I remember in the 90s, maybe reclaiming the word faggot and reclaiming the word gay, which are very important to me. I mean, I actually I identify as gay and I identify as a faggot. And I remember talking to to a young person who was identifying as queer when that was really becoming the term. And I said, so why are you holding out of this term queer? Why are you putting it forward? He said, well, you know, when I was younger, you know, gay just meant that it was, you know, guys that liked musical comedy or wanted to to cook or stay at home. And, you know, and that just wasn't me. And all I could think is like, well, that that is me. And that's exactly who I always wanted to be. <laughs> so if I had a room full of guys who just wanted to cook and sing musical comedy, I'd be very happy. So, so I, I held on to that idea of gay. Um, and I actually kind of started to use faggot as a kind of a reclaiming the term for myself. Because it's like, I never named me a faggot, you named me a faggot. So if that's what the word you want to use, then, you know, I'm, I'm a faggot who can quote Shakespeare to you and make 120 dozen Christmas cookies every year. What do you do? Have we sung the word faggot in a song yet? We have. We, uh, we did the Sticks and Stones song, mm. and that has the word, there are several words which are considered to be um, derogatory words for gay people in that song. And like if my grandma was in the, in the audience, she'd be like. <sighs> that does bring me to a question that Steffi and I has, have been asking people, who do we sing for? Michael, what do you think? Who do we sing for? Well, you're asking the guy who's sung once, you know that, right? I'll tell you, how about how I tell you why I sing? And it has more to do with joining with a group of people that I've never met. I mean, I made a promise to myself when I started this that as much as I could, I would lean in. Mm -hmm. I'm really in a room with a bunch of people that I don't know, that I don't know why they're there. I'll be honest, there's a lot about the Midwest that confuses me. Y'all go to church all the time. I don't know what that's about. So I'm leaning in a lot, you know, and, you know, and it's, it's very, very, very different for me. And I know when I'm, when I'm having pushback because I can feel it in my body, you know, it's that moment when you're out of your comfort zone and you start to get, Oh, you want to pick fights with anything that moves. And it's been a process of training myself. Like, don't just lean in, get over yourself. Everyone's breathing, breathe too. So I joined the chorus to lean in with a bunch of men I haven't met in a community I haven't met in a part of the country I haven't met with a culture I haven't met. So that's a lot of, that's what, why I sing. To, but to echo something Jeremy said earlier, I mean, I'll sing Ladies Who Launch Top of My Lungs just because I need that release, you know, or I'll belt out some Kay Ballard, you know, because it feels damn good. I know that like, you know, when something really hits me hard, Betty Buckley goes on. So yeah, see, I may not know Ariana Grande, but okay. <laughs> I've my got my own. My hates Ariana Grande because of that donut. She looked that donut one year and said that she wasn't really down with America. My mom is a very strong Republican. Both of my parents are actually, um, I'm, and I have a gay brother, so it's kind of funny, this ironic moment where two gay sons and their Republican parents loving Ariana Grande. I saw you well, nodding quite a bit, uh, Jeremy, when Michael was speaking there. I just feel like, I don't know, when like you think about 
just um, kind of like the reasoning of why being in choir, there is this weird safety feeling that you like to feel at home, but going out in public and having to trust other people is a lot. I don't know, I always think of like when I hit really low notes from a high spot, I call them vocal death drops. In a way, this is kind of like a vocal trust fall where we're kind of just trusting everybody to show up at a specific time and just try to, you know, warm up, relax. Normally, most of us have been running around for hours doing our like busy adult lives. And it's just nice to walk through those doors and leave everything outside. Because sometimes that's all that you need. You need a place to go to, you need a sanctuary. You need a place to drop everything and only think about music. And sometimes you just need to trust the people around you. And when I think about like why I joined, it's like I only sing for myself most of the time, which sounds really conceited. But I also want to blend with other people and I want to get to know other people because I know singing is my strongest suit. So I'm going to use my skill set to try to meet new people. Friendship is very important. I think most of us kind of lack it sometimes and we realize that when we look around, we feel like we need more support. And it's really hard to ask for help. And I think sometimes just having a network of gay men from all different backgrounds, it's weird to even just hear uh, people talk during um, our breaks and they're just talking about work, but a lot of it's about them trying to figure out how do I get out of this spot because I wanna get to a better elevated spot. It's like mm -hmm. I've met so many people that have got better jobs because of somebody that they knew in choir. It's because they like joined a class or they joined some recommendation or they got their resume better because they shared it with somebody. It's almost like we're a family when we need it. But also it's like, it's not cement. It's, you can walk away from it, but it's always there when you need it. It's gooey. You said so many great things there, but one thing that really stood out was just uh, talking about having the support and it feeling like a family. And I was wondering if that's something you're really, both of you are really missing right now and what you're hoping it will be like when, when we can be together again. I miss being in choir almost daily. The best part is Facebook because we can somehow see each other do stuff. But I definitely do want to go back to how it was. Um, there's something about just being around people that are not like you, but are so much like you. Um, I'm sober, so I've been sober for like almost three years. So just going to choir and meeting people that are actually sober as well was kind of a shock because you don't see that at the bar. How do you make uh, friends within, within DCGMC? You know, I, I feel like I made more friends not with the people I sit with. I don't sit where I sit to talk, I sit to work. I'm here to sing. Uh -huh. um, so if you're gonna sit next to me, don't, we're not gonna be friends, maybe. Just kidding, but <laughs> I'm here to work. But when we have those like 10 minutes, the 15 grayscale area of how long our time is uh, during our breaks and afterwards, like I just stand around and I talk to all the people that I know. I don't know, we're, we're clicky, we're still clicky. It's a natural thing. We go to people that we feel comfortable with but then like, you just kind of have to go stand next to people like, hey guys, what's up? Because everybody's pretty friendly. That's the thing that I, I, I always feel like everybody's like, oh, they might not talk to me. And it's like, we're all friendly. We're all actually really awkward people. That's actually kind of what we're all in this group is nobody really understand what it's, what it's like to be a singer. 
I mean, people got a, a little bit of a taste when they saw Pitch Perfect, but that's not really it. I wish they would do like a gay Pitch Perfect, just of us. Cause it is like a, just to kind of see how it is that we all navigate friendships. Cause most of the people that I see, it's like, I'll see them in choir, but then I also see them at the bar. So maybe also try to do a little bit of both, which is weird. It's hard to have a social calendar when you don't really want to go out, especially in quarantine. Michael, you um, met a bunch of great people, got to do a show, and then poof, <laughs> it all went away so fast. Well, it's true, but I've, I've made some very nice connections with friends. I mean, um, and, and that's a good thing. It's, you know, I have to say, Jeremy uh, and everybody, I've never sung chorally ever. Oh. I've never, and so, so I've never like sung, you know, just like the baritone line of a TTBB. It's like, and it, <laughs> the baritone line is really dull. I mean, it's rich and it's powerful. You know, but, but, but there, there are some pieces like, yeah, yeah, I see. I just stay on the same note. Got it. You, know? you got to make that note your special note. That is your exactly. note. Exactly. You know, your moment is your moment. But, but so Steffi, all of that about chorus culture is new to me. I've never been a part of a chorus. I've never sung chorally. So anytime I've come to song, it's always been about, well, you're speaking poetry on your best voice. So just find your best voice and use that. You, did you um, do other kinds of singing? Um, well, yes. I mean, I used, to, um, I used to be on stage. I used to be an actor. And so I, I did musicals and did cabarets and things like that. But it was always from an actor's point. So I was always, you speak the poetry on your best voice. Yeah. And, and sometimes your voice is really your best voice and you're being all fancy with it. But, but mostly you're, you're clinging to the words and those stories mm -hmm. that you're being given. Yeah, and choral music um, is so unsatisfying when you only sing your part, right? <laughs> like it's hateful. Yeah, it's hateful <laughs> until you so, hear it all together. So the new, the new challenge is now how do I make that part my story? Yeah. How do I make the fact that I have one note in I Belong my story? Yeah, yeah. that's a challenge. <laughs> I love that. But you gotta get a friend, a friend in each section. So then like, when you hear the tenors, you're like, that's my buddy over there. Right, yeah. Oh, that's my buddy over there, just killing it in the baritone section. Ugh. Angels, baby angels that are like grown men. Yeah. Most of them bald, like me. Yeah. That with glasses, we all kind of look the same, honestly, from a far away. Like, if you're looking at the from the crowd, we kind of do all look the same, except like the four long haired men, <laughs> which is great because then it's like feminized at the same time. Guys, this has been such a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you so much for your thoughtful contributions. Thank you, guys. This is really fun. And, Jeremy, it's a pleasure to meet you. It was so fun talking with you, Michael and Steffi and Raul. Thanks, guys. Bye. Have a wonderful Bye. evening. Bye, guys. Bye. See everyone. Take care. That concludes this podcast. You heard Stars, lyrics based on the 1920 poem of the same name by Sarah Teasdale, music by Erich Eschenwalds. It was recorded in live performance at the Ted Mann Concert Hall, December 2019, by the Twin Cities Gay Men's Chorus, under the baton of Dr. Gerald Gers, Artistic Director. For more information, please go to tcgmc.org podcast. 
We also invite you to support our mission with a gift at tcgmc.org donate. Thank you for joining us.